0: What's going on, guys? This is episode 100, and I just want to make a quick note before we started. I want to thank every guest I have had on. Uh, there's some been some really notable shows uh, that I actually learned a lot about somebody that I thought I knew. Um, I want to thank all of you guys who watch and support me and support the show and leave comments and leave suggestions and and just, you know, full-heartedly watch the show every week and support it. So thank you, guys. Um, it's episode 100 is almost two years in and the goal for this show when I started it was just to create a positive vibe in the bodybuilding world let the bodybuilders be who they are and let people and let you all see them for who they really are and all their faults and all their uh, positives and everything uh, just just being as real as possible and that was the goal of the show and uh, I'm I'm completely flattered at how it's been received and how it is, um, changed a lot of people's lives. I get the DMS every day and, um, I just want to th- say, thank you. And that's it. I just want to say thank you guys. And I, I mean, it from the bottom of my heart and uh, I, I put all my passion into this podcast. I think it's almost taken the place of my bodybuilding career in a way, but everything I have goes into it. And I really try my hardest to make it something special. And I want to, uh, thank you guys who watch and who recognize that. And uh, I'll shut up now. What's going on, everybody? We're back with the Real Bodybuilding Podcast, and this is episode 100. And I am honored to have six-time Mr. Olympia, Dorian Yates, on with me today. How are you, sir?
1: I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me on on uh, number 100 then.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a special one for me. It, uh, we've been do- I've been doing this for almost two years now. And like I said before, I think I've messaged you a few times, but you're the shadow. It's hard, hard to get hold of. So I'm happy that we finally yeah. uh, are able to get you on.
1: i got to be a little elusive, you know, to live up to that name. But, is, that, uh...
0: is that part of your mystique? Because I know, like, you know, I started bodybuilding probably after you had already retired, but you were one of the guys I looked up to um, when I started because, you know, the whole work ethic. And But you always had this mysterious persona about you. Is that done on purpose or is that just...
1: No, it's just... Uh... <clears throat> It was just me being me and it kind of turned into an image and a persona, but it was not anything contrived or planned or anything. Um, For somebody that was attracted to bodybuilding, um, I was quite shy and reserved, I think, when I was younger. And I didn't particularly like the limelight. For me, the contest was just um, kind of one day of the year a goal that I was aiming for, a showcase to show everybody what I'd done. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of the time I kept covered up. I got the, the nickname, The Shadow, from uh, Peter McGough, who was a British journalist um, who then he went on to to work for Weeder and edit um, Flex and Muscle and Fitness and everything as well. Yeah. Um, because I, I just trained in a small gym, kept myself covered up all the time, um, didn't seek any publicity or favors, and I'd turn up at a contest, um, win the contest, and kind of disappear again. So that's where the moniker "the Shadow" came from. In the why first, do you,
0: why do you think you didn't? Um, I mean, I know it sounds to me like so you're an introvert, and is that what kind of attracted you to bodybuilding? Naturally, yeah. I mean, you know,
1: uh, over the years of being exposed and uh, doing appearances and speaking and traveling and stuff, I got a lot more comfortable with it, but. As a, as a young man, yeah, I was an introvert. I didn't like um, really doing interviews or talking and that kind of stuff. I just liked training and trying to improve myself and challenge myself. That's what it was all about for me. So it was a little bit different from the, the average kind of personality that maybe is attracted to bodybuilding because they like the exposure. I didn't really like it. Um, I still really don't. I'm quite a private person, but... It's necessary to a degree um you know in the business of 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 things
0: yeah when i started i tell people that the reason i started bodybuilding wasn't to be a pro it was i wanted to kind of hide from people and i felt like the gym was one place i could go and it was like me by myself yeah is that is that that something you felt like when you went down Uh,
1: me me against myself kind of so kind of some kind of self-mastery that I could overcome these things and I probably had a lot of aggression and, and so on as a as a young guy so it was a productive way of uh, getting that out rather than getting into trouble which I was starting to do when I was younger yeah and a lot of people around me were falling into that so uh, the gym was my kind of sanctuary almost like a church or something where <clears throat> I would you know for, for me lifting weights is I, I do meditation now and yoga and but I understand that I was already doing a meditation but it was just a different kind I was doing it with the weights
0: yeah yeah do you think going back to your childhood where does that work ethic that you have come from because I you know I hear you talk about I've heard you talk about in other interviews how you used to you know run with guys and get in trouble and whatever and that doesn't really sound like somebody who has a lot of work ethic but then you somehow harnessed it all so where does that where did that come from
1: um well I was born on A small, wasn't really a farm, but we had some chickens and horses and animals and stuff. So I was born on a farm and uh, just everywhere I went when I was a kid, I remember I'm walking or running or riding a bike, all this kind of stuff. And uh, my dad was a hard worker. Um, And maybe it's just something innate. I was always doing something. That was unusual, and I look back and I say, "Wow, <laughs> you know, I did that when I was like 11 years old or something, and uh, nobody told me to do it." Like we have this thing in England; it's a little thing, but they don't have it anymore. But it's a tradition. One time a year, you have you build this big bonfire, yeah, and um, it's it's called Guy Fawkes Night because we celebrate the burning of somebody that um, was wanting to blow up Parliament. Which sometimes I think the guy had a good idea, but anyway. <laughs> Um, I don't know how this became a tradition. All the kids, once a year, we'd have this bonfire. We'd have fireworks, and uh, I-, I wanted to build the biggest bonfire. So I had a horse. Um, I took my horse and I took some rope, and I used to cut down trees with an axe and drag the trees back and build this thing all on my own. And I was like 11 years old, and I look back and I think that's that's not really normal, you know. But I didn't know at the time. I just, you know, I was just doing what I'm doing, right? So. Um, I always had that work ethic and I was always disciplined, even though when I was getting a little bit out of control, I'd always be the most kind of disciplined guy in my group. And I'd be the guy that if we were going to go do, go to a concert or something like this, I'd be the one planning it and organizing it and getting the tickets and all that stuff. So
0: you mentioned, um, you mentioned your dad, what did your, what did your dad do for a living? He was an engineer
1: at um, a car plant, rover plant. and uh, But he passed away from a heart attack when I was 13, and that uh, had a huge effect on me. Yeah. in my father at
0: that age. I can only imagine. So is that – do you think he kind of took over the man of the house role at that point? Did you have any siblings?
1: Uh, I had a sister, yeah. So my sister was younger than me. Um, so, yeah, you kind of uh, – I, I think – I was always looking for a a male role model. Mm -hmm. And first of all, when I was younger, it was the tough guys. You know, whoever was the the tough guys in the neighborhood and stuff like that. I thought that's what you're going to have to be. That's what you're going to aspire to. And later on, I I saw the bodybuilding magazines and saw the bodybuilders. And that kind of became more of a role model and more of a positive one uh, later on.
0: So when you I see that kind of makes sense. So you didn't look at like... When you were looking for that role model, you weren't necessarily looking for the smartest guy. You were just looking for that, no, the big, uh, the big guy or the fighter or somebody. Yeah, you know,
1: we're talking about. I grew up in the seventies. Yeah, is a different era, you know, and uh, real men were hard drinking, cigarette smoking, tough guys that didn't show emotions. So that was kind of the image that you had to be uh, a male um but later on yeah the the bodybuilders became almost like surrogate fathers or you know at least my image of what they they were because the magazines present a certain image it's not always correct but it was a positive thing for me to look at
0: did you get through school okay or how was how was that like after you know your dad passes at 13 uh, i
1: mean i was doing quite well at school in studies and everything and now i can look i mean at the time you don't realize but now I can look back and I just didn't have it. I just was not interested at all after my dad passed away. And I was like, uh, I still believe that the whole school system is wrong. I did then. I sensed it then. Like it's more like about indoctrination and getting you in there at a certain time and keeping you there all day and making you follow rules and uh, all these things, which I instinctively didn't like. And still actually, don't it.
0: It's funny you said that I actually. I said that to somebody the other day because everything that's going on with COVID. I said, it's funny. They've been conditioning us since we were little kids to follow the bell. When the bell goes off, you go Mm -hmm. here, you go there.
1: You know, and what what time you go to school? You go to school from nine to four or whatever. What's, you know, it's very similar to the workday that they're preparing you for. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And what you practically learn in school, you can learn, you could learn that. In a much shorter period of time than you do. I Have the same opinion of university. People go to university for five years or whatever, get themselves in debt, and practically what they learn, you could probably learn that in six months yeah, on you know really doing it.
0: Yeah, yeah. So did you finish school or did you leave because you weren't? Interested? I didn't. I just left.
1: Um, I just left school. I left home, and then my life was a bit upside down for a period of time. I actually was introduced to bodybuilding at school. or well, not at school, but while I was at school. Yeah. Um, a couple of friends of mine, we had some weights and we were in his kitchen and uh, we got hold of um, what was at the time Muscle Builder, which was and Weaver's magazine. Yeah. And they had Robbie Robinson on the cover. Uh, I told this story many times, but, you know, Robbie Robinson was, he was cool, man. He had the yeah. little dreadlocks, the cornrow hair. He had this ripped up t-shirt. It was like a rebel so um, me and my friends are looking at this guy and like wow this is and I, I started training them but when I left home um as I said my life was upside down I think I couldn't uh, get to the gym I, don't, I many times I didn't have somewhere to live let alone trying to you know train and eat properly and so on
0: I was just gonna ask you when you left home so how old were you, when you left home like 14 15 16. 16. So where did you, how did you get by? Like, where did you work? How did you live? Like, what did you do? Um,
1: well, a lot of the time I was unemployed and, you know, you get some benefit from the government in England, but it's not much. Maybe you get some work on the side. That was one of the things at the time on construction or something like that, where you get paid cash. Yeah. And uh, I was living at friends' houses, living on couches and and so on.
0: Yeah. Was it, I don't know how personal you want to get, so you can just stop me anytime, but did you have a bad relationship with your mother or why did you just felt like you had to leave?
1: Um, I didn't have a great relationship with my mother. And um, I kind of, you know, I could see why now. My mom was, had been through this trauma of losing her husband. And then she got remarried a year later. And this guy also died from a heart attack. So very tragic. Um, it didn't really touch me because I wasn't close with him. But obviously for my mom, it was tragic. And um, she just couldn't... Uh, handle looking after this angry, upset, rebellious teenage son. She didn't know what to do with me. And uh, we were living in the city and she decided to move out to the countryside where originally we came from Um, because she was an equestrian lady riding horses and stuff like that. So um, I said, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stay here. So I was just kind of looking after myself for a while. Sometimes I had a job, sometimes I didn't. I lost quite a few jobs because of this attitude that I had, yeah. that I didn't like people telling me what to do, or I perceived they're treating me the, the wrong way with the wrong attitude and uh, I wouldn't react well to that. So I lost a few jobs and uh, so, you know, it was, a, it was a bit of a tough time, but it was a learning process.
0: Do you think you still have that attitude?
1: Oh, I'm, I'm much calmer now. I don't, um, you know, I'm still uh, question everything.
0: Well, that's what it, kind of that's what I was getting at. Is you still have that attitude of uh, you're not really a conformist?
1: I'm absolutely not a conformist. No, yeah, I will, yeah. I will question everything.
0: So you've kind of carried that all throughout your life, then?
1: Yeah, I carried throughout my life. I carried throughout my bodybuilding career. I did it, like <clears throat> didn't want to conform to anything I didn't feel comfortable with, and um, fortunately, at some point, uh, I was in a position to be able to you know, if you're the winner of the concert, if you're Mr. Olympia, you can pull the shots to a degree. So I remember the first time I went out to California to do photo shoots. And, uh, at the point that they were doing some fake weights and guys were wearing sunglasses and all this stuff. And I, I just said, man, I can't do this. That's not me. (laughs) And, um, I managed to persuade one of the photographers to do some real, you know, let me lift some real heavy weights. And, uh, not going to be able to pose and smile, but it'll look real. And it did. And then it kind of, it was so popular. It, it changed the way they wanted to do pictures after that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely caught on. Um, so where, what kind of trouble did you get into? Did you get into any serious trouble after moving out or was it more just kind yeah, of, well, you
1: know, I'm just with a group of uh, friends, uh, who were punk rockers and skinheads. I was a skinhead, had the heads shaved, and you know, this was our group. Uh, we had a certain way of dressing, a certain music we we're into, and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's like a surrogate family. You, you know, I understand it wasn't like serious gang bangers or you know, what you have now. Yeah. Um, but you know, we 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 drink and we go out, and you 17, 18 years old, you get into some fights with some other groups, but it wasn't anything serious. Um, If somebody was carrying a knife or somebody used a knife, that would be like really very serious, something unusual. Now in England, like it's terrible with a knife crime, kids carrying knives and guns and the whole scene has changed. So nothing like now, Um, but you know, you're 17, 18, you're not living at home. You don't have any structure. You don't have any parental Guidance and so on. So it could have been a lot worse than it was.
0: So where where did you turn the corner? What was finally the thing that was like, I don't want to party with these guys anymore. I'm going to calm down a bit. It
1: was, I got sent to jail for a few months, but it, it wasn't really jail. It's um, called a detention center in England. At least that's what they used to be called.
0: What did you end up there for?
1: Um, just really sounds like a cliche, but I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. There was some... Um, this was in 1980, I don't know if it was 81, uh, maybe it was 81, yeah. There was, um, was a whole series of um, street riots in England, a lot of civil unrest. There was a lot of anger, uh, especially from the um, the black community, mainly Jamaican community in England because of the certain the way they were being treated by the police. And, and you know, it just blew up. Every major city in the country at one point was on fire, there was looting all this stuff going on and me and my friend were just walking through the middle of the city late at night we weren't involved in it but we we're walking through the you know yeah all the shops um broken down and everything like that and uh, my friend decided to it would be a good idea to pull some of the clothes out of the window and uh, we got arrested by police almost immediately and you know we we're in the wrong place at the wrong time and uh, Got sent away for a few months to this kind of real, uh, it's almost like a military regime they put you on. You, you know, you got to march in the morning. you got to oh, wow. go to classes. you got to do physical exercise. And um, one of the first days I was there, they take you for physical exercise. And they had this, what we call circuit training. It's a bit like CrossFit now. Yeah. Circuit training. You go from one exercise to another, you know, from squats to push ups, to chin ups, to burpees, whatever. And uh, okay, you guys, you go around the circuit three times. And when you finished it correctly, you sit down here. So I went around, you know, I had a little background. I'd done karate, I'd done a bit of weights. I was pretty fit. So I went around, I smashed around three times, I sat down. And the prison officer said, What the fuck are you doing there? And you told me to go around three times and sit down. And I sit down. <laughs> it's like, go around again, I want to watch you go around again. So I went around again, he's like, all right, all right. And actually, I got treated a little differently from the officers in there. And uh, this one guy was a powerlifter who was a PT, so um, we were doing powerlifting twice a week in the gym. And you know, I wasn't using no extraordinary poundages, but it was more than nearly everybody else in there. And I had a physique, so everybody was treating me differently. Um, from the officers to the the other inmates and so on. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought, you know what? I got something here that's different, that I'm better than all these guys in here. So I'm going to do something with this when I get out. And the officer was like, I got this guy in Birmingham, where you come from. Uh, I know him as a powerlifter. He's got the powerlifting gym and uh, he gave me the address. He said, go there when you get out. Yeah. I never went there because I wasn't interested in powerlifting. I was already in love with bodybuilding what um,
0: can I ask what <clears throat> sorry can I ask why the why did you choose bodybuilding over powerlifting if, if the gym is your favorite part
1: because I'd already been introduced to the bodybuilders Robbie Robinson okay, and uh, okay. I'd seen stuff about Mike Mensah and Arnold okay, yeah. and all this stuff and I and I was fascinated by it yeah. and I wanted to look like that I don't want to be a big yeah chunky fat guy that's what I thought powerlifters were at that point and yeah Also the complexity of bodybuilding with, you know, the, the diet and uh, having to get into the shape for contests and all these things that appealed to me much more.
0: So where did you end up going? If you didn't go to the powerlifting gym, where did the bodybuilding start? It started in
1: a gym that eventually became temple gym and became my gym. When I first went, there was a basement Kung Fu center with a little side with weights in there. And, um, that, that's where I started training. And then I trained at various places. And a few years later, this gym became vacant. And uh, I had, let's see, I had won the British Championship. I'd won it very quickly. So somebody offered to back me with the, with the gym, with the money. I had no money. I had nothing. Uh, for two or three years, all I did was put everything I had. I was working. Or I was doing security on uh, bars and nightclubs. Put everything I had to my diet and training and training fees and got to be British champion and uh, then had this opportunity to open the gym.
0: So we skipped over a bit there. How old were you when you left the the jail? Not jail, but
1: yeah, 19. I was 19 and uh, I started training at 21 because I was very strategic about it. I'm like, I'm going to do this and I want to do it properly, and I want to do competitions. It was nothing casual like, hey, I'm going to train, and let's see how it goes. So, like, first of all, before I do that, I need to get an apartment. I need to get a job. I need to get my life in order. And it took me a little time to do that, about a year and a half. And when I felt I was ready, I was like, right, today, from this day, I'm going to the gym. I'm going to keep a, a training diary. I'm going to do everything right, And uh, you know, from day one. And I already had a lot of knowledge about training, mostly theoretical because I'd read every magazine, every book and, and nutrition book and everything I could find, get my hands on.
0: Can I ask you, uh, when you say that was the day you got started, was that the day you decided, you know, I want to be a pro bodybuilder. This is what I want to do. This is what oh. I want to make a living. No,
1: I didn't really. I mean, maybe that was a distant thought, but I just thought this is something positive I can put my energy into. Okay. And uh, I want to do competitions. And I'd like to be like, wow, maybe getting at a British championship level or being one of the best in the country or something like that. That was kind of where my goals were aimed at that point. And that changed really quickly because uh, 18 months later, I went to my first um, contest in the IFBB, a novice contest. And I won it, but not only did I win it, I impressed all the judges and the officials from the federation so much that they persuaded me to go and compete in the world games two days, two weeks later, uh, which is a world championship. And, yeah. you know, I had Barry DeMay won the contest. He went on to be top six finisher in Olympia. Matt Mendenhall was second place, who was a huge name in American bodybuilding. I don't know if you yep. know him, but he was like... Yeah. Amazing. Guy that probably never reached his potential. He could have been Mr. Olympia for sure. Yeah. And this was a standard of people I was competing against after a year and a half of training coming from a novice competition. So at that point, and you know, I got a lot of feedback. There was a guy in England called Ron Davis, who was the head of the federation. And he was a judge at Mr. Olympia. He knew all the Olympians, he knew all the industry, and all the people. Yeah. And he was very encouraging saying, Listen, man, you you know, you can beat these guys. Just so, a little but- bit of time.
0: So you won your first show that you did, The Novice. That was the first official show I did. I actually did one after about
1: six months of training, which was a local uh, gym contest that I went into with no preparation, no diet, yeah. like barely any tan or as white as a sheet. But um, <laughs> I, I won that contest as well. Like I mean, I always compete against guys that have been training for years.
0: Okay. So I'm going to dispel a myth right now that I, I hear all the time. And I, I wonder how you feel about it. Um, I hear people say some this this phrase all the time. Dorian Yates didn't have great genetics, but he was able yeah. to make make his physique great with work ethic. And I feel oh. like I feel like it's a really false statement. How do you feel about that statement?
1: Maybe it's my own fault because I made a statement um, when probably when I was Mister Olympia or around about that time hmm. because I was looking at Flex Wheeler. And yeah. I was looking how extraordinary this guy's physique is yeah, and how great he looks.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And sorry, Flex, if you're going to be listening to this, but quite frankly, he was a little bit lazy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he was not really super motivated. He was almost like taking his gift for granted. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I wasn't saying I have shitty genetics. Yeah. I was saying there are people out there with better genetics than me, mm-hmm. but I'm outworking them. And if Flex had my head on his shoulders, it would be a scary thing. So maybe that's where it came from. Um, so I have great genetics for bodybuilding. I mean, you're only going to look at my early photos when I've been training for six months. The physique's there. I mean, it's not huge or nothing. It's like yeah. 200 pounds maybe, but lean, proportionate, no real weak points. Maybe the biceps are pretty average, but that's about it. You know. I,
0: I just feel like, Somebody, somebody who could achieve your size uh, and your success, it's not possible to say somebody that, like that has bad genetics. I mean, Flex, no, of course not. You, you don't get on the Olympia
1: stage, even last place, without having way above average genetics. Yeah. Okay. Um, and everyone has different genetics, like Flex has very small joints and very round muscle bellies. And maybe this you can say is more aesthetic, where my physique was a little bit more powerful maybe more herculean mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so it's different genetics but yeah you can't be mr olympia without having superior genetics
0: okay so while we but
1: my point was i didn't have the best genetics in the world there's other people yeah. out there but if you're you know if you work hard you work smart and you work consistently you can uh, surpass somebody with better genetics that's not given it 100%. So that was really my point. Maybe it got misunderstood.
0: Yeah. While we're dispelling some myths, I, I want to hear your thoughts about squatting because every time a squatting co- conversation comes up, people say, well, Dorian Yates didn't squat. So can you clarify that for me, please? Did you squat at all coming up or just never at all? Yeah. I mean,
1: I started, as I said, training early, mid-80s. And Tom Platz was the man. Yeah. So... Everybody in every gym, and you didn't have like these foo-foo gyms then and fitness centers. They were gyms, yeah. Yeah, they were hardcore gyms, spit and sawdust gyms, we call them, and guys are in there lifting weights. And if you did not squat, your sexuality will be questioned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Yeah.
0: Okay, that makes sense. what's
1: <laughs> wrong with you, man? Yeah, yeah. On the machine and all this. Yeah. So of course I was squatting. I had to. Uh, Tom Platts, powerlifting, squatting shoes, the whole thing. yeah. And everybody was, the squat rep was the the altar. This was, you know, separating the men from the boys. So I was doing that, Um, ass-to-the-floor, barbell squats. But at one point, I tore something around my right hip. And if you look carefully on the contest photos when I'm doing a side tricep or side chest, there's a big scar there. It's not really noticeable because you've got the, the proton on and yeah. everything. Yeah. Um, so I tore something there. And I mean, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. There was no like, you know, physios and these kind of people around. You just go to your, you know, your MD. Or and I heard myself, okay, so take these anti-inflammatories and, stop being stupid and lifting weights or take a break and go back and that was it, you know? Uh, So I went back and it became like a recurring problem that I would get this hip little pains and and tears and stuff every time I'm trying to squat so I wasn't getting anywhere with the leg training. Uh, I had a surgery to remove some scar tissue uh, and I'm sure that these days it would be another way around it just with therapy, physical therapy and everything and probably would have worked it out. Um, but I figured out I didn't really have an ideal structure for, for squatting. I've, very, I've got very long lower legs. That's why i got such big calves, maybe. Yeah. Very long muscle bellies there as well. Yeah. Um, and it didn't really feel natural, but I was doing it because you've got to do it. Yeah. So, okay, now I'm injured. I'm having a choice. Everyone says you can't build legs without squats, and I believe that. But I don't have a choice now. So um, I started squatting on a Smith machine. Okay. where I could position the feet forward and keep the back upright and get more on the quads. I started doing that. I started doing hack squats and, and leg press and um, my legs really improved. So yes, I grew legs without doing squats, um, but I did do them in the early days. And actually, if you look at my very early photos from World Games, it almost is like my legs are a little bit ahead of my upper body. So I'm not saying squats don't work. Yeah. I'm just saying for me, they were not the best thing. And there was too much injury risk. Um, And I do think if I had done free weight squats all through my career, I think I'd have a lot more back problems than I do now. I'm quite fortunate. I don't have any disc and and back problems because of that.
0: Do you think your legs could have been, like, as you said, you, you thought your legs were a little bit better when you were squatting. Do you think your legs could have been even better than they were had you kept squatting if you were able to do it with like, and stay healthy?
1: Well, if I could have done it and not get injured, then possibly. But if something has an injury risk, yeah. uh, then that's going to set you right back, man. If you get injured, you, you lose a year or six months of gains and you're going to start all over again. So that's where that's the position I was in. Um, but they were working for me initially. Yes. So it's, it's hard to say.
0: What's the heavy? I know you were a, a heavier lifter. What was the heaviest you ever squatted? Like for reps, like on a normal. Well, it wasn't that heavy because I wasn't
1: that strong at this point. I mean, I probably started stopped squatting, I think, around 86. So I was only like okay. competing then at 210 or something. But I was going up to, you know, like uh, five plates or so like four 490 pounds, something like that. You're and and they, they weren't half squats, man. They were like ass on the floor stuff. That's funny.
0: You know, that's funny that you say that. You're like, ah, I wasn't training that heavy. I thought you were going to say like three plates. So no. like five, five, and I'm assuming because of the way. Yeah, but you, well, you got guys like
1: Ronnie and uh, doing seven or eight plates. Kevin used to do six, seven plates. Yeah, but Kevin's legs were better early in his career as well. Uh, if you take note.
0: Yeah, but I'm assuming with because I know your philosophy on range of motion. I'm assuming your ass was touching the ground pretty much.
1: Absolutely, man. Yeah. I, you know we're all we're all um tom Platt's disciples at that point because this guy had his legs that looked like they're from another planet so and he's adamant that you just got to squat squat and if you don't squat you're not going to get legs so um that that's the guy that inspired us he came to England quite a lot doing appearances and seminars and very inspirational guy a very energetic you know like passionate and that's something that's kind of missing from the sport these days you don't get that guys really debating training methods and and, uh, having that passion for like really going to the limit in the gym.
0: Yeah. I mean, it it, it may be there, but I'm just
1: not aware of it. It's not so obvious.
0: Yeah. Do you follow the sport closely or not really, not really so much?
1: Not really so much, but you know, I'm on Instagram and I follow some stuff on there and I see some, there are some guys on there doing some, some impressive uh, lifting. Sometimes I come across it. So there are people out there, but just general, the general, culture has, has changed all around the sport has changed i'm gonna the gym I, culture the fitness culture everything it was it, it's different than it used to be
0: i don't know if you'll take the time to watch but i think i'm going to send you some links of what some of the guys are doing nowadays it's some pretty impressive stuff i okay. mean J, james Hollingshead uh is actually from the uk i don't know if you're familiar with him but name he, rings a bell, yeah yeah he squats like seven eight plates like like it's nothing i mean ian valier right. ian valier he, he's here's here from canada he squats you know, six, seven plates for reps. I mean, these guys are. Um, I think. I think you'd be more impressed. I think if if I sent you some of the guys and what they're doing. Yeah, no, I'm sure the guys
1: are out there. I'm just making a general statement.
0: Yeah. No. I hear, I hear. No. Now, now you've got
1: gyms where bodybuilders are not even welcome.
0: That's true, they don't want you in there, yeah.
1: which is a shame because all the original gyms were bodybuilding gyms. That's how the whole industry got started. So it's a shame that now. Um, the, the places have just become commercial businesses and
0: they're uh, uh, not welcome there anymore. I know we're going a little away from where I wanted to go, but I actually am curious now. Do you think the reason that guys aren't doing the stuff they used to do, or maybe not as much, is I think maybe guys play it a little safer now because there's much more money involved?
1: Probably, yeah. I mean, um, I got injured uh, in my career twice. Um, both times getting ready for a contest. Uh, so now I advise people to train differently, cruising into a contest now because you're much more vulnerable.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, you know, Ronnie's, we all know about Ronnie's injuries from his heavy training. So maybe guys now are looking at more longevity. Um, you, know, you got a guy like uh, Dexter Jackson. I don't know how long he's been competing. Maybe 20 years. As a pro, I don't know.
0: I think 30. You know, and then you got also you got Sean Roden. I think he's 43 or 44. So guys are wanting to compete yeah. compete later yeah. into their years.
1: And uh, I think a lot of guys are not doing the, the like heavy squats and, and deadlifts and things like that now, maybe for that reason.
0: I think they I think they are maybe not to the extent they were before. I just like I said, I think, you know, I imagine in your day, if you weren't a weeder athlete, you probably weren't making very much money in bodybuilding.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you were not... I mean, the magazines were everything, right? If you're not in the magazines you're not a contest winner, there's no revenue. Now guys can make money on various revenue streams and then social media is very important for that.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, Um, Going back to what we were talking about earlier, I wanted to touch on one thing. What was your worst placing before before getting into the pro ranks? Did you ever do uh, bad at a show?
1: Well, my worst placing as an amateur was... Um, 1986 when I won the British Championship heavyweight class uh, and at, at that point um, you had one winner one overall winner a year that got the pro card, the pro status Yeah. so I lost out to the guy that won the light heavyweight class So I don't know, that was um, under 90 kilos and I was over 90 kilos so I won my class but I lost the overall in a bit of a controversial decision um so that was it and then when i turned pro i got second in my first night of champions yeah next year i got first and when i did my first olympia i got second and the next year i got first so um two seconds as a pro is the lowest that i ever placed
0: um i want to get into the x's and o's just a little bit just because i've always been interested you said you learned everything in the magazine from the magazines that you had, and just reading books and different things. Yeah, how did you decide what your diet was going to be? Was it heavy protein? Was it heavy carbs? Like, how was your diet set up?
1: Uh, it changed a little bit over the years, but mainly it was um, making sure I got enough protein. So around about one gram of protein per pound of body weight, okay. and that you know that I experimented with that over the years, going a little higher and so on um So, get the protein in, keep the fats low, which now I know would probably be better with a little higher, but the, right the, then the fats were the enemy. enemy. So, instead yeah. of having whole eggs, we we're having mainly egg whites and it's keeping the fats really low. And the rest were carbohydrates. So, I was never a low carb guy. Um, getting ready for Olympia would probably be like minimum 350, 400 grams a day. That's not,
0: uh, that's not that high without a lot of fat. It, doesn't seem, yeah, high, it yeah. doesn't seem that high. So, and protein actually seems pretty low too at um, at a gram per pound. Is that a gram per pound of body weight or lean body mass?
1: Uh, body weight. And um, probably like by the time I was Olympia, I was going like one and a half grams a day. So, like 400, 450. But I, I go back and look in my diary for British Championship is about – 250 grams of protein a day so the main thing for me was watching the overall calorie intake mm-hmm. uh, as long as i was below a certain level i was losing weight and uh i remember so i got this from mentor um okay get enough protein in. but so i used to have um, a small little bar of chocolate every day when i was getting ready for a contest okay and i'd eat it after training with a protein shake and okay. so all the older guys in the gym and the guys that had done contests and everything like Good, you got a contest coming up. What are you doing? Yeah. Don't worry, it's in my quota. You're not going to, you don't know what you're doing. I'm like, we'll see.
0: Yeah. (laughs) What was the reason for the chocolate? Why did you decide that was? Just because I could. Okay. I I I like that. I like that. I I, I
1: was just of the belief of listen, if I'm burning 3,000 calories a day and I'm taking in 2,500, there's a deficit, whether it comes from a chocolate bar or potato or banana or whatever it does um i'm gonna lose weight
0: yeah where did um where did dorian yates get introduced to to steroids where did that come into your life was that at the start because i know
1: I, i i did the first contest the little one the local one in birmingham with nothing and then you know you're in the gym and uh it wasn't hard. A lot of a lot of the guys in the gym were on steroids. Some were competing, some weren't. So I decided when I'm going to do this contest in the IFBB, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take a little bit of stuff. And uh, I still remember the guy that was running the gym. Um, he brought me my first 100 uh, D-ball. So I took a little bit of D-ball for like six weeks, I think. Put on some size, and then I was taking a shot or two of Primo a week and a little bit of Anavar from the first contest. So I did it to prepare for my first contest because I'm like, if I'm competing, I know the guys in the contest are going to be on stuff, so I just want to be on the yeah. even playing field. So you know, it was very moderate doses, but uh, straight away that I was competing in the IFB with the B, that's when I that's when I got introduced to it and I started using it
0: did you notice a drastic difference as soon as you started?
1: I mean, my first course was like, uh, I don't know, I put on like 15 pounds, I think, in a month. And some of it's water and and so on. Yeah, Yeah, It's it's dramatic, very dramatic the first time I took something. And that was just, uh, I think, 15 milligrams of D-Ball a day. They came in five milligrams then, taking three of those a day, and it was a huge difference, yeah.
0: What was the culture like then, like, to, I know all the guys, in the, you said all the guys in the gym were on steroids, but did you have to keep it a secret, like amongst anybody else you knew?
1: No, not really. I mean, my, uh, I had a girlfriend, she knew, and I guess uh, I wasn't, uh, you know, close to my family and stuff, so yeah. they didn't know, but it wasn't really something I tried to hide if somebody asked me, it was not a big deal, but there was a little bit of a, when I first went to the gym and I asked people, they were a bit cagey. Yeah. Like almost like it's little inner, inner circle of yeah. you know. Yeah. You just started, kid. You know, no, no, no. no. Yeah. And later on, you get accepted into the club kind of thing. Yeah. And people start talking about it a bit more freely, and they can see you're serious and stuff. Um, I mean, I had one guy that was the big, was one of the big dealers. Yeah. Around the area, and he came to me in the gym, and it's like, kid, you got what it takes, you know. I mean, I've been training for a few months. It's like you got I, trust me. I've been around this game a long time. You got the right muscle fiber. You got everything. I can see it. And uh, you know, when you're ready, you you come see me.
0: Do you think all this positive reinforcement? I mean, when you go back to the not the jail, but wherever, whatever you want to call it, where you were, and they gave you the positive reinforcement physically, yeah. and then you got this positive reinforcement from the older guys at the gym. Is it something? This kind of all contributed to your belief you think?
1: Yeah. And, you know, it felt like home as well. It's like, I belong there. Yeah. I'm good at this. um and, you know, like I wasn't bad at school if I applied myself, but I didn't see the point. I didn't want to. So I left school without qualifications. Um, but I always had something inside of me that I knew I was different and I would do something different. And I was not destined for the, the life that other people were happy with. I'm like, what is this? Yeah. You, you know, you, you, you get a job, you, you get a, a girlfriend or you get married and you have a kid and you work and you have a government housing and you get drunk on Friday nights and that's it. That's that's yeah. what you're going to do for the rest of your life. Screw yeah. that, man. I want to see the world. I want to do something special and uh, in bodybuilding was my ticket to do that. It was a way out of the environment I was in. I had no family to advise me or help me and you know, no contacts and all this stuff. So it was a way for me to totally change the trajectory of my life and to, to make something of it.
0: At that time when you were coming up, when you were first started training, I'm imagining it's your early 20s, did you have a lot of friends or was it kind of like you and your girlfriend and you kind of were a loner aside from that? I had
1: friends, but I kind of honestly, like they were still going out and doing social and stuff like that. So I kind of cut myself off from that and created a new um bunch of friends from the gym really yeah because you know you have the same goals and everything you end up you know uh, maybe all going to the movies on friday night or something to watch rambo or rocky or something because you know and the guys are taking their plastic bowls with their tuna and rice in there and you know it's just yeah. like it's a totally different thing i couldn't go out with the guys drinking and you know, uh, all this kind of stuff, it would just be ruining my next day workout and ruining my rest and my sleep and all this stuff. So I kind of created a new group of, uh, friends and, uh, um, family was more like my girlfriend's family and, and so on. She had a big extended family. So that was kind of like became my family as well.
0: Yeah. So when you formulated your plan to become, you know, the best you could be, you kind of started right from the beginning. Did you go to like sleep at the same time every night? You didn't go out and drink. You didn't smoke weed. Absolutely, man. It was, a,
1: it was you know, it was a prepared mission.
0: Yeah. Like
1: preparing for war. Yeah. I had everything ready to start with. I had all the information, all the knowledge and right. Okay. I'm going to get my gym membership, make sure i got enough income coming in. i got my apartment now that's sorted out. I had an apartment, but I didn't have much furniture. I didn't have a proper bed. I had a mattress on the floor. I didn't have carpet. I just had a, you know, the kitchen. I had an old TV that barely worked. Um, but it was good enough. It was a base for me to be able to operate from. And um, yeah, that, that was it. I'm going to do bodybuilding and I'm going to compete. And I would like to be, wow, if I could be British champion one day, that would be amazing. And then very quickly, my whole. Uh, perspective change because I was very successful very quickly. And I realized I could go further than that.
0: If you hadn't been so successful early on, do you think you would have kept pushing it or do you think it would have dissuaded you from well, it? Well, I, I
1: made a vow to myself uh, really as regards to the steroids and the extreme kind of dedication that I was applying to this. Mm-hmm. Because I saw a lot of other people doing it, but they were never going to get anywhere. I mean, I could see that, right? And they're the sacrificing their time with their family, possibly taking risks with their health. Um, they're spending all the money on this thing and they're dreaming and then it's never going to happen, right? So why make all those sacrifices? So I said, I'm going to give it everything I've got. And um, when I became British champion, I opened my gym. And at that point, there was not many gyms around. So I was making... The, pretty okay living then for a 25 year old guy. I said, if I haven't got what it takes, you know, I'll, I'll quit the steroids. I'll train and I'll open more gyms and, you know, I'll just relax on this kind of uh, tunnel vision that I've got. Uh, and that was my vow when I first did my pro show, which was night of champions. I said, if I don't get in the top five, then I haven't got what it takes. Because I looked at the history of bodybuilding. All the guys that were great winners, I mean, they were great off the mark. I mean, Arnold didn't get like 10th place in Mr. Universe and then the next year he won it. Yeah. It was there, yeah? Same thing with all the other guys, Tom Platts, Mensa, everyone I was looking at. Um, it's evident. So if I go to a night of champions and I can't crack the top five, I'm not going to make it as a pro bodybuilder and I'll hang it up at that point. I won't hang up bodybuilding. I'll open more gyms. I'll be involved, but not... To that extent
0: i've heard you say that before and I, i'm curious i've always wondered had you placed sixth or seventh would you actually have hung it up or would you have yeah. tried you i think so. i think so yeah you think it would have been that easy just to give it up like that though
1: not to give it up because i could still train but it's like the amount of energy that i'm putting into it uh is not worth it and the risks potential risk for your health taking steroids not worth it so and um you know maybe with that energy and that focus i could have opened more gyms and made more money and made made changed my life like that perhaps that would have been a a, a alternative route but still still being involved in a sport that i love still doing it but not doing it to the extreme that i was doing it and i continue to do it
0: would you say that your goal all along was always to be it sounds to me like because you, you put that limitation on yourself, like I have to be top five or else. Yeah, it sounds to me like your goal as a pro was always to be one of the best, if not the best. What's you know, what's the point of being a pro if
1: you're not a pro? Well,
0: I mean, oh,
1: like a other- pro means professional. Yeah. That means you're making your living solely from this one endeavor. Sure. Just because you got a pro card or pro status, don't make you a pro. It doesn't make you professional if you're having to do other things on the side in order to you know, feed your family and pay your rent and everything. So uh, that was what I was being realistic about because it's not just me making the sacrifices. You know, I had a young son. I had a son very early on. Uh, I had a girlfriend. So they're losing time and focus with you. Majority of your money is going into, you know, pursuing your sport and everything. So it wouldn't be fair to the people around you as well to expect them to continue to keep sacrificing for no reward. So that, that was my attitude.
0: I guess it was probably different at that, you know, in that era of bodybuilding, because when I turned pro, I never reached the highest levels of the IFBB, but I made a good living, but there's yeah. also, there's also very different nowadays to kind of earn a living. So I guess I see your point. Um, you said you had a son early on. How old were you when you had, your uh, son? I had my
1: son when I was, uh, I think I was 21 when he was born. Uh, so I was 21, his mom was 17. Um, so, he, you know, we had him really early on and that was not something that was planned. It's just, you know.
0: So did that, make, did that make pressure of becoming a good pro or becoming successful even greater, you'd say?
1: I think so, yeah. And um, the guy I looked to was Lee Haney because he had a, he had a son, he had a family where most of the other guys didn't. So he was kind of inspirational in that that you could do it with a family. You could manage it.
0: Do you think, and like I said, again, you can stop me anytime, but do you think the family suffered in any way because of your passion?
1: For sure, man. I mean, I was extreme with everything I did. So, you know, I had to get my sleep in. I couldn't be out later than a certain point. I had to get my sleep in the afternoon. I had to eat six meals a day. So, if my son's, uh, I don't know, sports day at school or the parents' day was an inconvenient time for me. I wouldn't go. Okay. Um, stuff like that. So they miss out on time. And, and more than time, it's just focus. Because when you're so focused, you might be somewhere. Yeah. But your head's somewhere else.
0: Yeah, you're not really you know, there.
1: Because it's just tunnel vision and you're focusing on all this stuff. So yeah, um, for sure, Uh uh, and, and any kind of social events I would really avoid going to. I didn't want to go. Uh, was, was the weddings and uh, parties and things like that I say to my wife, are oh, you you know you go? I don't want to come.
0: Was there any type of uh, anxiety or like is that the introvert in you coming out or is it just solely because you're focused on bodybuilding?
1: bit of both bit yeah. of both, I think. I mean, I, I became much more open and much more social and everything uh after i retired yeah um so those things that you know no problem for me then but then i was like you know i got my routine like uh and i you know sometimes it's not necessary but I'm like, if I slip, if I miss one meal or if I miss one day's training or something, that can lead to another one. And the whole thing can fall apart. So I'm not allowing that to happen. It's kind of an extreme mindset, a little bit OCD, but uh, it worked for me.
0: Um, do you think some people, when they, they're in this sport, they want everybody to know they're in this sport. When you were out, and this is just a side question I have. Yeah. When you were out, did you try and hide? Your size, to, or did you? Were you proud of your size? Like, did you? If you went to the grocery store, were you ever in a tank top, or were you the guy in the hoodie? That oh, didn't walk?
1: Man, I never even wore a tank top in the gym.
0: Okay, I kind of figured that. Okay,
1: listen, uh, anyone that trained with me will tell you, they never my my training partners that trained with me for Mister Olympia, they never saw my physique until maybe five or six weeks before when I would do some posing in the gym and I would invite a few people whose opinion I respected to come and have a look and, and kind of get their feedback because, yeah, of course, I was the biggest guy in the gym, so I could take my top off and everyone would be like, Ooh, and wow, and you look incredible, but I didn't need that, man, especially from somebody that has never even watched a Mr. Olympia contest. Yeah. Maybe you watched a videotape uh, that we had at the time, um, but you don't really know how these guys look in the flesh. So I would be only a few people that I would trust there uh, to get their feedback and their opinion. So in the gym, I would train with a sweatshirt on. It might be cut off at the forearms. So you could see my forearms and around the traps, it would be cut off. Um, but that's it, uh, apart from that. And uh, <clears throat> I did all my posing practice at home away from the gym. So even people at the gym wouldn't know what I looked like.
0: But that's in the gym. So is that when you're out in public? Did you know no, I'd be i be cover
1: up man I didn't need people looking at me like you didn't want what, anybody why? like you know they don't even know what they're looking at right
0: <laughs> and, and it, we're,
1: we're talking 80s 90s yeah there's not the the fashion and the, the fitness industry and the emphasis on the body and uh, looking good and everything you're kind of like you know what the hell is this uh, back then <laughs>
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, moving on to when you turn pro I you've talked about your competition with Lee Haney um and I know I know uh you said you kind of went in looking at it like you know you can't treat him like an icon you have to treat him like a competitor but the question I have for you is do you think you beat him that show or not no you think he he won like
1: full I think run. he won yeah I mean I did actually beat him in one round I beat him in the muscularity round which had never happened before yeah um, so I got first place in that round, but if you look like standing relaxed, I think he's got that, you know, that huge V taper. Uh, it was a little bigger and fuller, maybe. Maybe my condition was a bit better, and his presentation and everything. I mean, the guy is his veteran has been up there many years, yeah. so his posing presentation, which at that point did count. I mean, I know it doesn't really count now; they don't judge it, but yeah. Um, at that point, it did count. So, um, I think that he was a winner, and I didn't have a problem with that. I would like to have competed with him again and reversed that decision, but I didn't get the chance, and totally understand why.
0: I was just going to ask you that: Do you think, do you think he retired because he knew you were coming, and would it have been uh, kind of feather in your cap to be able to?
1: I would have liked to, of course, but I understand why he made that decision. And I don't know, you'd have to ask Lee, maybe he was planning to retire anyway, I think, after getting eight, because, uh, you know, it's a long time to be up there. He had the record. And even more reason now, now you've got a young, hungry guy coming up that is only going to improve. But I wouldn't uh, like to say that I was the reason he retired. I think he probably was going to do it anyway. Yeah. But uh, we did sit down at one point. I don't know. It was a couple of years later or exactly. a year or two later and uh, I was chatting with him and I'm like, Lee, why don't you come back, man, and give me another chance? And they just start <laughs> laughing, you know? They just started laughing and said, man, i am got to fish i am got to
0: <laughs> That's funny. Um, through your career, I know there's a lot of turmoil with you and Sean Ray and all that. I don't want to bring that up, but one of the things that... And if was- you want,
1: I don't care, man. I mean, it wasn't... No,
0: no, it's, it's really okay. Turmoil, it was just... Uh, I mean, we were like
1: polar opposites in many ways.
0: Yeah. But no, the, the most controversial thing I want to lead to was the Nasser El-Sambadi 1997 yeah. uh, Olympia. That's probably your most controversial. Mister Absolutely. Olympia. I would agree with that. Yeah. How do you feel about that? How does your like inside when I can only imagine what it feels like to win a show, but have people say maybe you didn't. Yeah. What is, how do, How are your feelings about that show? Well, it was
1: my worst showing at the Olympia. I, I believe in my opinion, yeah, because of the, I already had one injury, but now I had another injury on the same arm. But um, I'm pretty analytical and mathematical with everything I do, and uh, I understand why people think that NASA should have won because in some poses he killed me.
0: Yeah,
1: he looked yeah. way better, but the seven poses and the way the contest is judged is. Uh, the winner is the guy that wins the majority of those seven poses. So if I go through those poses in my mind, front double biceps is murdering me. Okay. Right? okay. Let, so let's, let's put it like this. Let's front, just say front,
0: front double Nasser. Okay, go ahead. Uh, let, let, let's
1: put it like this. To, to be generous. Everybody in the contest beats me on front double bicep. Every single person. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Right.
0: Okay. 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 Side chest. Side chest. NASA beats me. Okay.
1: All right. Now we're going to the back.
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Back double.
1: Back double biceps. That's easily mine. Of course. Back lat spread. We don't even need to say anything. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. All right. So now we're now we're two two
0: two two yeah yeah
1: yeah side
0: tricep Yep.
1: close board along with a uh, oh we missed out what did we miss out front lat spread
0: I missed front lat spread
1: front lat spread I mean it's pretty much the same comment as a front and back lat spread I don't I don't think you want do
0: you, you want to look at them. Yeah, let's look. Let's look. Okay, let's look. So I pulled. Here's a front lat spread. What do you think?
1: Um, it's kind of our screen is covering it. So, uh,
0: let's see if I can find another one. It's kind of from the side.
1: That's the uh, that's let's wrong. Do
0: this, let's do the side tricep. How's that? Oh, that's I a ninety-five. That I can right. see. There. Okay, let me see. Get my. Let me see. Ninety-seven, Olympia. Okay, I don't know if I got anything better here, but let's, this is 95 again, that's 97. What's this? This is 97. Can you see that or no?
1: If I can move these screens, I can, but I don't know how to do it. Okay.
0: Um, Let me see if I click on it, if I get, oh, it's a video. You lost, a no. Can you see that? Yeah. Wait, let me get make it bigger. How's that? that that's
1: a, that's a relaxed pose. NASA's got me on that. I mean, front relaxed wasn't my best pose anyway, and that you definitely got me there.
0: Front relaxed, NASA. Okay. Yeah. And we got oh, you're walking out here. Let's go forward. I don't know. This is just a, a history, I think. Front double, you already called that one. Yeah, that's NASA's all day. Let's see what else we got. Front lat spread. Front last grade. What do you think?
1: Uh, NASA's got better legs. I got better lats. Yeah. Uh, better conditioning in that pose. It looks like. Yeah. Um, I think so. um, I'd probably say I take that one, but it's closer than than I thought.
0: Yeah, I was thinking that too. It actually is pretty close, but I I think I would give it to you also. So Dorian. Yeah. So we got two two.
1: Now now we're at three two with the two back poses.
0: Yeah, let me just do this. Back, double. Back, lat is both Dorian. Front, double, Nasser. Front, lat's red, Dorian. Uh, Side chest, you said, do you think you had the side chest? No, I think
1: Nasser had the side chest, although I haven't studied
0: it lately. but Let's see.
1: Yeah, it's hard to say from that shot. but
0: I think your conditioning looks a little better. This chest looks a little fuller
1: you know it's hard to call that one could be a draw i don't know yeah that's that's a hard one to call
0: it is i agree um let's see we have a side tricep
1: side tricep that's not a good angle for me but yeah um side tricep was like with the lat spread is is one of my best compulsory poses, especially with the leg back showing the with calf. The,
0: yeah, with the leg spread like that. Yeah. yeah.
1: So I would say the side tricep would be mine. Although I'm not saying my triceps are better. Yeah. You have to judge the head, the pose from head to toe, but that's not a good uh, angle to judge it from.
0: Yeah, I agree. So so far you have four poses. I mean that's four of the seven. If we go. To yeah, then take- you got abs and thighs which would
1: also be pretty close. Uh,
0: the thing yeah. is, the thing is the back double. I know there's seven poses, but I don't feel like they're all equal. Would you agree with that? Because I feel like the back shots are almost more important. Um, I
1: mean we can debate that, but we should say there's seven poses, and it's a mathematical equation. I don't think any one pose should be more important than the others. So that you know, two back shots are mine. There, that's I think okay. that's. I don't think many people would debate that. Ab and thigh. Ab Here's and thigh, That's pretty. pretty tight. I mean, I look impressive because of the lat width. Yeah, I was thinking Once that. His abs maybe look a little bit better there. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's, it's That one's close.
0: It's closer than, Not yeah. Close. Is, is it closer than you remember?
1: Um, I'll or be ha- generous and give it to him. It wouldn't matter at that point.
0: What's that? Even if I'm generous
1: and say that he won it, it wouldn't matter numerically at that point because I would already be ahead.
0: No, so, no, no. I mean, I mean... The show overall, does it like how do you feel about that show? Do you think you know,
1: you you never when you're there at the show, you never really know exactly how you look until afterwards? Yeah, really, you know, yeah, Uh, yeah, because you're looking at yourself in the mirror in the hotel room or backstage, and so it's only when the pictures and the video come out. Um, yeah, I knew it was close, and I knew that it was the first time I heard any booze, so I knew that there was. Sections of the audience that felt he should have won, um, but I feel and now there's you know there's 101 videos on the internet, yeah, people going back um, and reviewing it and saying, well, NASA was robbed, but often they don't really understand how the contest was judged. Yeah, like you know, you get a comment like, how can a guy with one arm win the contest? Well, that one arm, that injury, only impacted me in one pose. Yeah. So what I'm saying is, all right, my front double bicep was the worst in the contest it yeah. doesn't matter because i win the majority of the other poses
0: mm.
1: i win uh even if we call some things a draw i still think i would win the majority like i would win the two back poses and the side tricep for sure yeah and it, I, think I would win the front last spread
0: did it affect you psychologically at all afterwards like when you're back home training or did it affect you in any way, or were you like, I'm still Mr. No, Olympian. I mean, I
1: was just disappointed that I got injured and I couldn't train the last three weeks. And it was, you know, it was the only contest I ever went into where I felt vulnerable and I didn't feel 100% confident because I was injured and uh, it was a bad injury. And uh, I couldn't train at all the last three weeks. Imagine going into a Mr. Olympia and you can't even lift a weight because yeah. you're scared to, you know, there was the tendon was like, I don't know, 95% ruptured. So it was hanging on by a little bit. And if I pushed it, I even didn't really practice my posing because I was timid with the posing. And, uh, you know, sometimes you're on stage and you bang elbows with people by mistake. And all that stuff is all in your mind, you know. So it undermines your confidence. And normally I just radiated confidence. I mean, people could feel it, people could see it. Yeah. Um, because I knew that I did the work and I knew I was in great shape. So that was not there so much that year. Yeah. I was in pain. I had inflammation. Um, right up the night before the contest, uh, I had a physio friend of mine. He was treating my injury and he drew off like um, 15 mil of blood and oh, shit. water and stuff from the elbow because it was all yeah. swollen up. So yeah. Yeah. we're doing our best to try and get all that inflammation down. And that's really... <laughs> You know uh very less than ideal going into the best bodybuilding contest in the world so i understand why people would think that nasa wins because if you look at some poses he looks way better than me admittedly yeah Yeah. but uh, the majority no
0: was there any point where you thought to yourself i might pull out of this olympia or you just that was not an option uh
1: of course when the injury happened i I couldn't i got home i couldn't even extend my elbow and Later, A few days later, it got a bit better, but I heard the snap. What had happened is I had tendonitis and inflammation all year round. Yeah. And I should have taken time off and, and treated it and everything, but I didn't because, uh, you know, I'm that guy that keeps going. And uh, I got some what turned out to be bad advice about six weeks before the contest. I got a cortisone injection. Yeah. Off a, a surgeon into the tricep tendon which took the inflammation down but of course it weakens the tissue even further which was already probably partially torn and, and weakened anyway yeah uh, and it just blew. I think I was doing some pullover uh, press for triceps um, and it just you know went bang and I knew I knew what had happened straight away and uh, you know you, you're totally disheartened and thinking I'm not going to make the contest. Uh, But I got injured in 94 with a bicep tear and I went through the same thing there thinking I couldn't do it. And uh, I managed to get through but the tricep tear was much, much more serious than the the bicep was in the muscle. It didn't stop me from training. I had to change the grip on some exercises and things like that. But it didn't stop me too much. So yeah, I went in to that contest not feeling at my best at all.
0: Yeah. After that, how old were you at that contest? Uh, 35, 35. So relatively young, uh, according to nowadays, how long? Nowadays. Yeah. I mean, Lee Haney
1: retired at I think 32. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of average than 35, 36, maybe,
0: you know, the next topic's kind of, uh, more of a selfish one for me because I'm in the uh, kind of that place right now, but what were you, what was the, the deciding factor for retirement and how did you decide? Was it like an abrupt okay, I'm done, or was, did it drag on? Did you think about coming back? How well,
1: that I can tell you that um, during my preparations for 97, because I did something, everything so extreme and I didn't do anything else, I mean, if we went on vacation, I would still be training, which was not necessary, but that was just the mindset I was in. Yeah, So I was never switching off. Uh, I was starting to get burnt out a little bit in 97. I was starting to think, wow, This feels like Groundhog Day. This feels like... um, It feels more like a job now than a passion. And I'm starting to think about what else I want to do with my life because... So, 97, anyway, the the thoughts about I need to think about how I'm going to transition this were already there. Then I had this injury. um, But because of the injury, and I was not happy with the way I looked... I was like, I want to get the surgery. I want to rehab, and I want to see if I can come back and redeem myself, yeah, and, and get better than this because it's not the way I want to really go out. Yeah. Um, but I did all that process, and it became apparent as I started training that that left tricep was way weaker than the other side, and it was just you know, yeah, I couldn't bench press properly. It was all upsided, and I'm like, okay, man, decision's been made for you. Um. And I was very extreme about it. I was like, right, that's it. I'm stopping. I'm stopping taking the, the juice and everything, and that's it, and I'm finished. Um, I could have, like, you know, uh, I stopped. I, I wouldn't even guest pose or anything. I didn't, I didn't want to, like, show anybody my physique because I wasn't happy. Yeah. I could have, you know, transitioned out and done a lot more guest appearances and stuff. Okay, wouldn't be 100%, but I'd still be looking great. But I didn't want to do that. So it was a very extreme from one
0: day to the next and I, um, I had a lot of problems with that really did you ever consider I mean I know you said it was extreme but looking back at it now do you think you could have considered maybe training differently because I tore my tricep last year and I, I'm I know exactly what we went through like I can't right. bench, I can't bench the same I can't do anything yeah but I feel like if I can change my training maybe I can still manage it and s- some days I feel like that's not possible so I kind of feel like what you're saying is you know, just yeah. just cut it. That's enough. But do you think you should have, maybe not should have, but could have maybe tried something different
1: in order to compete? You mean,
0: yeah, like maybe train a no. different to train a different style. No way, man. No, there's no way.
1: Doesn't matter what training style I used. And don't forget that the size and the density and everything I had, the trademarks of my physique were from this heavy, yeah. high intense training and. Um, Maybe I could have done some lighter training and kind of maintained a physique that was good for guest appearances and stuff like that. But I wouldn't be able to achieve what I had achieved before, let alone yeah. try to improve on that. Absolutely 100% impossible. I, I knew that.
0: So then, because we we often have this debate on the show. So you think the training style that got you to your best is a training style you're going to always have to use to keep that physique? <laughs>
1: Not necessarily. Let's say I didn't have an injury. Yeah. And then I'm like, you know what? I've been training heavy for this for years. I've got the size. I've got the density. And it's becoming risky now. And how much bigger and stronger can I get? And there must be a ceiling somewhere. And I'm pretty much approaching that. Yeah. Then I could have maybe switched to a safer training style with more reps and, and uh, stuff like that. But that would be just to maintain believe i could improve on that but it would be okay to maintain and uh i'm sure you know who steve weinberger is yeah who was you know was a friend of mine he used to train at his gym and everything um and he told me in 93 after i won in 93 like man listen you need to ease up on this fucking crazy heavy training you're doing all the time man because no one can beat you looking like this you just need to maintain why don't you cruise and maintain and make your money man But I didn't want to do that. I wanted to see if I could push it more, you know, just a bit more, just a bit more. And, you know, maybe I was already at the kind of peak of what was uh, achievable for my size, but I didn't know that. I was in uncharted territory. I wanted to find out.
0: Yeah. I don't think people who don't have a passion for bodybuilding would understand that. Like trying to take your physique to that ultimate limit is kind of what we're, it's what we're doing. That's what it's, it's about. Yeah. And, you know, I felt that some other
1: people, maybe like Sean, they were on the, you know, they were just kind of cruising with the training and getting the paydays. And I know he said they, he was passionate, wanted to win the Olympia, but I don't see that he really uh, pushed himself to that degree. He could have maybe got improved and get a bit bigger or something. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Um, going back to retirement, you said you stopped abruptly and it was extreme and you went through some things and, uh, that's also something I'm I'm looking at right now. So I'm curious, how did you deal with the abrupt loss of identity or change in lifestyle?
1: I mean, it, it was huge. Um, I mean, first of all, very bad decision for me to just quit taking anabolics cold turkey. I just stopped. Yeah. And uh, I tried to get some advice on that. There was nobody to advise me. I probably should have just, you know it down to a TRT dose or something but it was not the knowledge around then and I had this extreme mindset that either I'm doing it or I'm not doing it Yeah. so I stopped and uh, you know that in itself can cause depression Uh, retirement from your vocation and your passion in life can cause depression so I had that and uh, somebody very close to me passed away and um, my marriage was not in a good place, so all of it hit me at the, the same time. So I had a real hard time with depression for, I don't know, it was a year, year and a half. Plus, you know, I was isolated in England Yeah. away from the sport. There was no internet then. So the, the internet is like internet, you know, it keeps the whole yeah. community and you keep in touch with people and you see what's going on. I was just there in England and not doing what I was doing anymore. That worked for me while I was competing because – I like to, like, disappear and cut myself off a little bit. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was a tough time, man, and it took me time to get through that and um, to change my mindset, to look what I've lost, to look what I've gained. Yeah. Now I've gained, man, you, you know, you, you've made some money, you, you've made your name, you can do whatever you want now you can you know good i started traveling i had a passion for wildlife i was sponsoring mountain gorillas for years while i was competing and stuff like that so i went some safaris to africa and started traveling and doing things and saying hey you know you've earned this you can relax a little bit and you can enjoy life um whereas before you couldn't so maybe look at that instead of like being upset with that you've lost your um, vocation and a little bit of a, your identity, but you'll always be uh, a Mr. Olympus. So you haven't really lost your identity. You've just lost that that tunnel vision. And I, I, it's not just bodybuilders that struggle with this. It's pe- a lot of people from sports yeah. suffer depression after they finish because it's not that high that endorphins and adrenaline that you get from having this mission that you're on, so to speak.
0: Yeah, it's almost like there's a void that you can't fill with anything else. Yeah, but um, I realized I couldn't
1: replace it. it. Just has to be looking at it from a different angle.
0: Yeah. So, how did you deal with the depression? Did you take any medication? Did you just party a lot? Like, was or did you just? Kind of, did you just get through it.
1: Both. Yeah. I mean, I got into the partying later on. I was like, you know, uh, screw it, man. Just have a good time. You know, you've earned it.
0: <laughs> and did it you feel know. like? Did it feel like you deserved it? Because you had been so like a soldier for so long.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it became like, probably I went into that too extreme as well, you know, from one extreme to another. Um, yeah. But that's, that's the nature of the, the beast, my, my personality, I suppose. And now I feel like I've got more balance. i got a middle ground. It took time to get that.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you that. So it's all been extremes. But now when I look at your social media, I feel like you kind of have a little bit of everything going on. You just seem happy. Yeah. I, I
1: mean, you know, I, I like to train. Uh, I got a couple of injuries that mean I can't really train too heavy, but I do some functional training. I do some biking, I'm biking and I do a bit of yoga, a little bit of everything, you know, trying to be uh, rounded and eat a good, healthy diet. And uh, so exercise it's always part of my life. If I didn't have the injuries I got, I'd probably be lifting a bit more weights in the gym. I'd like to do that, but I can't, and I don't agonize over it. I just do something else.
0: So as a um, younger as a younger bodybuilder coming up and uh, kind of watching you guys ahead of me, I see that you, you started your supplement company, and your supplement company is very successful. At what point in your career did you start the supplement company?
1: Wow, well, I've been involved in a supplement company since – Late nineties and different, you know, different guises and different partners. Now I got DY Nutrition, and uh, one of the most popular requests I get is like, "When's DY Nutrition coming to United States?" United States. So it's still not in the United States. No, um, I mean we're planning to do that, but this whole situation with the COVID and everything, I mean, it just screwed up a lot of businesses we had a hard time but we're still we're still going i mean most of the a lot of countries in europe are still shut down yeah um so we're consolidating in europe and we're in the middle east and then uh we are planning to come to usa but realistically it'll probably be next year now
0: is a supplement company something you're able to sink your your passion it's like where is, where is the passion directed? Is it just traveling? Is it supplement company? Or is it like...
1: Well, the supplement company is part of it. And I like to be involved. I'm involved in the product development and the marketing, the imaging and stuff like that. Yeah. I got some very good business partners that take to care of the day-to-day uh, business and the sales and stuff like that. That's not really my passion, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and I like traveling. I like making appearances. I actually train some people in the gym, uh, which I enjoy, but not not a lot. But now and then I do. I still like to be in the gym. And sometimes training other people is a way of me kind of doing it myself, the things that I can't do. And I, and I can give them the energy and give them the knowledge. Um, and I got a um, online um, uh, training. It's called DY Academy as well, where I help people with their training, with their diet and so on, kind of like custom yeah. stuff. It's not like, You know, you just pay for a diet and everyone gets the same thing. So I work with people and they're uh, helping them reach their goals. Some of them are competitive bodybuilders, but majority are not. They're just people that want to get in shape and lose weight or gain weight.
0: Can I ask you as as somebody who's so militant and like at the level you reached, is it hard to, do you ever get frustrated training somebody in the gym because they just can't do what you want them to do? Does that enter into your mind or no?
1: Uh, Occasionally. But the majority of people that come to train with me or sign up to train with me, they know what it's about. And they're there to give 100%. So most of the time that that doesn't happen. But, you know, as I say, I help, I got this energy in the gym and I help the people with the energy and stuff. So if somebody is kind of like don't have the energy, doesn't have the passion or the interest, that's quite draining. But it really doesn't happen very often because people that come to train with Dorian Yates, they normally – you know, they know what they're, they're coming for and yeah. they're, they're there to give it a hundred percent. Uh
0: I'm not going to keep you too much longer because we've been on for a little while, but I do have some pressing questions I have to ask you. Uh Your video, your blood and guts video is a, is a video that me and my training partners used to watch every single day before training. <laughs> okay, and so. there's, there's literally thousands and thousands yeah. of
1: people around the world that told me yeah. the same thing, which is yeah. the best feedback I could get. Cause that's, yeah. That's what I made it for. That's why I made it like that.
0: Yeah, um, your training partner Leroy. Yeah, is that was that at all staged, or is that how he sounds all the time?
1: I think he turned the volume up about fifty percent in the room. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, uh, so yeah, you know, the, he knew the camera was there. Yeah. So maybe he was playing up a little bit, but he was a great training partner. Um, I do feel other people that train with me as well don't really get any credit because they were not there at that point. Uh, I trained with Leroy for um, 95, 96, 97. So for three years.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, But there are other guys that train. I had another guy called Kenny Brown. He trained with me for about five years straight uh, and various other people. So, uh, and, you know, They were training partners, training buddies, and they came to train with me. So, you know, I was in control. I called the shots. I was like, "This is when we're going to train. This is what we're going to do." So, it wasn't a coach, uh, trainee relationship at any point. It was I was the coach and the trainee. Yeah. You know, in those days we didn't have coaches. We had training buddies, just a a guy that's a friend or a buddy that you you know you got the same kind of goals. Yeah. And. uh, Leroy worked at the gym for me, and before we opened the gym, we used to train together. And uh, But, n- you know, the the whole thing, the, the planning of the training and, and my nutrition and all that stuff, I did it myself. Did you? Uh, There's no such thing as a coach then. I think the first person I spoke to that had coaches was Flex Wheeler, and I, I was asking him because I couldn't understand him. For me, bodybuilding was a very individual pursuit, so yeah. why would you have a coach? Uh, and he explained that he was from martial arts and had done whatever. I don't know. Uh, in, in America, you have coaches at school for football, for baseball and all this stuff. So that was something, uh, I guess, maybe the guys in the States were more used to.
0: Yeah. I w- actually want to get into coaches since you brought it up. But one last question about Leroy. Did you need somebody yelling at you like that? even if you did, didn't turn it up, like on a right, did you need that kind of motivation or was it just something the guys don't necessarily need the, the, the
1: shouting so much, but I need somebody that's got energy. Yeah. So, and the shouting, I can take it or leave it, but you know, some, if somebody was silent all the time as well, I probably wouldn't like that. You know, you, yeah. you can encourage each other. And I would encourage him as well, but I wouldn't be so loud, but you know, key phrases at key times just to motivate and push the person. It's definitely helpful. Yeah
0: yeah um, going back to coaching you don't think it's a valuable or you don't understand it as a valuable tool
1: uh, I'm starting to understand it more it was just foreign to me yeah. because I was attracted to bodybuilding because it was a very individual pursuit sure and, and I guess my whole life from my childhood and everything I felt like man people always let me down if I could control this shit I'd do a much better job so that was one of the reasons it appealed to me. I planned my own diet, I researched, I did my own diet, I did my own uh, training, I planned my own steroid courses. Of course, I spoke to many people and read many things, but ultimately, uh, I, I made the decision and I called the shots and was like, I'm responsible for the whole thing, win or lose, good or bad, then it's down to me. Yeah. So that appealed to me. So the whole thing about coaches was like, Wow, that wouldn't work for me because if somebody said, do this, do that, I would be like, why and when and what? And you know, I'd have to <laughs> I'd have to know everything. I couldn't just say yes, boss, okay, and that's what I'm gonna do and not think about it. But that's my personality. I was just gonna so, say it, yeah. coaches could be valuable, you know. I, I help and coach some people sometimes, but I feel like I have the qualifications to do that because I've been there and done it.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Um, so for sure, you know, I've heard stories about coaches out there that really hurt people and damage them. So you've got to be really careful if you're choosing a coach, get somebody with a track history or somebody that's been there and done it themselves. I know there's coaches out there that weren't good competitive bodybuilders, but maybe they have a good uh, analytical mind and maybe they studied things and tried it out on many people and they get good results. Um, but definitely – you know, be, be careful. And ultimately you're on stage on your own. So you got to take responsibility for that.
0: Yeah. Uh, two last questions. Is there any pros that you got to train with that couldn't handle your training? Cause I know there's video of Chris Cormier out there puking with you yeah. and there's video of, you know, Branch Warren came out to train with you and I'm not sure who else, but I've always been intrigued by your training and I'm like, I wonder if I could have ever handled it. Was there anybody that was ever able to come out and handle it with no issues?
1: Well, Chris handled it. It's not that he didn't handle it. It didn't run away or anything. He handled it. It was yeah. just a bit more intense than he was used to. Yeah. And uh, his body wasn't ready for that. Went into kind of a little bit of a shock. So he was throwing up and everything. Um, but he'll tell you he learned a lot from it. And it's not just you know, going crazy and using heavy weights. It's, it's about the tempo of the reps. It's about contracting. It's about controlling the negative. It's, it's getting absolutely everything you can out of that set. It's about not creating any momentum. It's making the, each rep as hard as you possibly can, as controlled as you can. And uh, I do um, um, camps. Haven't been able to do one last year because of the situation and not traveling and everything. But I've done camps in in, here in Spain. I've done them at Gold's Gym a few times, uh, different places where people come to train, come to learn methods from me, and they get the uh, master training certificate. So I had a lot of people come out, the the serious guys, and they've watched my videos and they've studied the books and everything like that. But there's some little subtle things when you do it in person with me that they still didn't know. Yeah. You know, so it's I, I got a huge passion for training and all the little uh, things that go into it and the equipment and machines and everything. It's, it's kind of one of my passions of everything to do with bodybuilding. the gym and the training was my main passion. So you
0: don't are you are you finicky about the machines you use like you yeah. have a, a, a very like a huge preference to this handle or that handle. Or this machine, well, absolutely. Or that
1: machine. I mean, uh, you know, is, is is if you're a driver, I'm not really a driver. I drive cars, but I won't say I'm a driver.
0: Yeah,
1: but let's say you're a driver, right? Every car's got four wheels. Yeah, looks pretty much the same to you know to uninitiated person.
0: Yeah,
1: but if you're a driver, you can get in that car and you can fucking feel the difference, man. you know, yeah. from one car to another. Yeah. So, it's the same thing with equipment and machines and um, the, the people that make them, where they, they understand the biomechanics and how that angle is hitting the muscle correctly and it's not damaging the joint. Just to take one machine, right? Let's say a leg extension.
0: Yeah.
1: If you've got a leg extension that's really a great leg extension, it's constructed properly, like maybe the early flex leg extension or the early nautilus leg extension, you can load that thing up and you can go to failure and you can go heavy and you won't feel it at all on your knees. You'll feel it in your quads. You can go to a gym with another machine and and I get on there and I'm just like, okay, like, I'll just go really light today because this is pulling on my knees or it's pulling on one side more than the other Uh, and the mechanics are not correct. Uh, Or you've got, let's say, your early hammer strength leverage machines, great machines.
0: Yeah.
1: Then you got another company or another company making machines that look pretty much the same. But when you get on there, it's not the same and it's not hitting the muscle in the right way. Yeah. So free weights are free weights. They, they are what they are. They, they work with the individual, which is great. But machines, there's a big uh, variance in the machines, how effective they are and how potentially damaging they are or not.
0: What was your, my favorite machine manufacturer is probably Cybex. You have a favorite like overall?
1: Overall, it's hard to say because no, there's not one manufacturer that makes all the ideal machines. Yeah, yeah. Um, I really like the early Nautilus machines for some stuff. The pullover is the best lat exercise you can yeah. do bar and yeah. none.
0: Yeah.
1: Early. Um, they got a bicep and a tricep machine. That's that's just insane. Really hits the muscle. And because of the cam, you get uh, an even load through the whole range of motion. Okay. But a free weight, obviously got an easier and a harder uh, um, part of the movement. And uh, same with some machines. So I like some of the early Nautilus. I like uh, the hammer strength. It's very good. Um, flex equipment, the original ones that uh, were out there, that's in Gaul's gym now. You know, you got all this equipment in Gaul's gym, all the leg presses, but nearly every pro will go on the old flex leg press because it just feels better yeah right um uh cybex leg press was the one i used in the old temple gym
0: yeah i like that one
1: cybex is good because uh they made rehab uh machines as well for for hospitals and rehab centers so they studied the mechanics of the muscle yeah um i'm sure there's lots of other good brands out there that i'm just really uh not that familiar with
0: i had no idea you were that particular about your equipment, because I always you always struck me as a no bullshit. I don't give a I don't give a shit. Just give me a weight. Let me pick it up. I never, no, you, you I'm, never I'm, struck- I'm
1: uh, very precise as well. I'm very uh, picky about equipment. I mean, a free weight's a free weight. Yeah, is what it is, right? But machines, you, you know, you can get a terrible machine or you can get a great machine. And uh, normally, there is not one company that's got all great. Like you know. Even hammer Some of the machines that I don't think they're
0: that great, but a lot yeah. of them are. Yeah. Um, last question, Dorian, and I'll let you go. How would have Dorian Yates handled social media if they had it in the '90s? And could you have still been the shadow?
1: Well, I don't think it's possible with social media. It's almost like necessary now, um, even for myself, uh, to inform people about what I'm doing or for putting events on and the you know, I've got a supplement company, all these things. It's a way uh, to uh, make people aware of that. So it's it's useful, but I don't know how you could be the shadow. Uh, it, it would be difficult um, to, to do that. I suppose you could post training, but cover it up like I used to. So yes. people can see the training you're doing and, and, you know, create a bit of mystique like that. Do you think uh, that's suppose- a... I suppose you could do that.
0: Do you think it would have ruined bodybuilding for you though? Like that's kind of more what I'm getting at. Like you're very, you seem like you're very introverted and just involved in just your own training and your own betterment. And um, do you think if you would have had to do all that back then, do you think it kind of would have tarnished the sport a little bit or ruined it for you a little bit?
1: Uh, I don't know because it wasn't around then and I'm a different age now and a different place. So I see the benefits of it now. Um, and then you had the magazines, which were in place of social media, perhaps. But with the magazines, you don't need to go and do it every day. You do yeah. a few shoots a year and uh, they use that all year round. So uh, I, don't, I really don't know, but I don't, I don't think um, I could have been the shadow with social media because it's, it's, it's the opposite, right? You need to expose yourself on social media. And yeah. there's obviously people making money uh, doing that and telling their story. And they can tell the story that they want to tell, where the magazines maybe, you know, they tell the story they want to tell. So yeah. uh, <clears throat> swings and roundabouts, man, up and down on on, uh, on everything. Nothing's good and nothing's bad. It's just how you're going to use it. Uh, so maybe I could have done, but it wasn't a strategy of me becoming the shadow. It was just that was, that was my personality. And it turned in... To an image that people liked, yeah, they they, they bought into it, and perhaps this um, scarcity of information and exposure made me more popular. Because whenever I did a, an appearance in the United States or anywhere around the world, it was almost a guaranteed sellout for the for the promoter because this is your chance guys to get to see yeah, this yeah, yeah, mysterious yeah. monster from England that's yeah. lives underground and only comes out a couple of times a year. So yeah. um, I, I, I enjoyed it uh, being like that.
0: Yeah. Well, Dorian, um, I appreciate you taking the time, man. It uh, It's seriously been an honor and uh, somebody I looked up to a long, for a long time. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time and um, giving me some more of the backstory.
1: Thanks for having me on, man. It's been my pleasure. On your congratulations on your one hundredth show, there.
0: Thank you. I actually, you know, I I have a a book in front of me here. I had a list of questions that I haven't got to. Uh, If we get to episode two hundred, do you think you come back on and answer some of these?
1: Absolutely, man.
0: Absolutely, and I'm sure you'll get
1: some more questions from this episode to add to those ones. Yeah,
0: Yeah, of course. All right, Dorian. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate the time.
1: All right, man. Thanks, and. Hi right, to all the viewers, thanks, guys, for tuning in.
0: Okay, bye-bye. All right,
1: cheers, mate. Thanks, bye-bye.